smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast mint ahead of the budget so much swirling around the world around us there is a military coup that has been declared in Myanmar US markets had possibly their worst week since a long time as we closed up last week there has been some foreign fund selling for indian equity markets but of course all of that will be overshadowed by today's big event which is the union budget i cannot remember in the last couple of years uh, a time where there was this much expectation leading up to the event so hopefully there will be a lot to take away once the finance minister rises and presents her speech full house this morning to discuss all of that and through the day uh, we will be bringing you every facet of the union budget and how it impacts your life and what it means for the economy but let me quickly introduce our panel this morning to kick things off and to kick the conversation off anant narayan associate professor at bhavan's spjmr joins in to talk about where he sees things headed for the macros and indeed for the bond market vivek call author and economic commentator you've read a lot of his blogs so uh, good to have you on the show as well vivek menalal kitwai former president fikki and chairman advent india advisory board nena welcome to this conversation radhika gupta who's md and ceo at edelweiss amc joins in as well professor k shrinath reddy joins in from the public health foundation of india to talk about the very very important imperative of what happens with health in this times budget and professor himanshu associate professor for center for economic studies and planning at jnu a big and warm welcome to all of you nena first word with you uh, this is a big one is it not compared to the expectations of how we usually step into the budget saying hey it's a statement of accounts let's deal with this and carry on this time it seems like expectations are different uh, anant i'm going to lob that same question to you uh, i mean i don't know if the prime minister sort of watered down expectations by saying look we've had a couple of mini budgets in the run up to this one but what are you expecting this is a big big bang one you, you reckon it's definitely a critical one mitali no questions asked uh, we're coming out of a very debilitating uh, covid-19 situation while the official numbers might show a degrowth of minus 7.7% or so the actual contraction in gdp would be far higher given that the stress in the medium and small enterprises is probably much higher than estimated nevertheless we are now recovering from this consumption is rebounding back you saw the gst numbers uh, mitali that looks that's a that's a huge positive for january uh, government spending has also been pushed up quite a bit in the last couple of months and chances are it will get the spending will continue going forward so we will see a rebound but just getting back consumption and government spending is not enough that's not growth eventually mitali we will need output uh, domestic output as well as jobs so frankly the way i will measure the quality of this uh, budget is how how far does it go in continuing the the efforts being put put up to try and improve domestic output and jobs it's easily possible that a rebound in consumption can lead us to inflation and higher imports and instability as we saw in 2009 2013 rather than you know durable sustainable growth so um, what does it take in the budget i think things like uh, more investments into productive areas infrastructure education healthcare uh, cleansing of the financial services ecosystem that would help a lot um you know this would go along with what we are seeing on labor reforms etc 
to try and see if we can get domestic output and uh, employment up. So that's what I'm going to look for, along with hopefully some signs of credibility in the math. Uh, our budgets, unfortunately, hide more than they reveal. I'm hoping that this one is a lot more transparent than before. I like the sidebar comment, Anant. I think that <laughs> sets the tone for the conversation. Transparency would be nice and uh, more numbers, more details, of course. Nena, I, I hope you can hear me now. I was asking what your expectations are from this budget. Generally, we all sort of tiptoe into the event, but this time there's quite a drum roll ahead of the finance minister's speech. Uh, yes, and I'm sorry about that connectivity issue. Can you hear Sorry's me now? Up. Yes, loud and clear. Okay, super. So, uh, expectations. Uh, I think uh, there's no doubt Oops, got a snappy connection today. Radhika, hi. Uh, just tracking the equity markets, which seem to be going in positive but quiet this morning to the event. Uh, what is it that the equity market expects to see from, from the budget, both in terms of you know how life is impacted for them and, of course, what the large macro strokes might be? So I think uh, equity markets were of course have had a great run and have been choppy ahead of the budget. I don't think equity markets or capital markets have large expectations in terms of tax relief. And quite frankly, I think the current tax structure doesn't demand much tax relief. Given the stress around the fiscal, I don't think equity markets are expecting tax relief. I think the one thing that equity markets will all, always expect, and I think we've been choppy to be frank in past budgets, is no chaos around taxation. We've had missteps with GAR, we've had missteps the whole FPI issue. So whatever is laid out in terms of taxation uh, should not be detrimental and should not be confusing, particularly for foreign investors. I think India needs a consistent tax regime. Um, the second thing I think equity markets will hope for is what the budget is doing to pump in growth. There is a lot of talk about the fiscal challenges, but I think the economy is recovering, but it's recovering in precarious ground. And I think there is a belief that you know, 12 to 18 months of counter-cyclical fiscal policy is still needed to support the equity markets. Uh, some help on MSME, some help on labor markets. I think these are the two, three things. How much do you really go for growth uh, at this point in time? Professor Himanshu, uh, any straws you would draw from what the economic survey pointed to, both in terms of how sharp the rebound in growth will be and what it might then moderate to? Because even on that basis, uh, we still have a lot of ground to cover. I mean, we are basically pointing to, even with the IMS prediction, a very, very low 15 to 2% growth. Uh, do you think the budget can do something to change that target significantly? I think there are uh, two issues uh, one has to keep in mind. One is the short-term issue which is coming from the pandemic, which is, and there is a lot of discussion about recovery and IMF projection and the economic survey talking about it. But I think there is also a long-term issue that we have to keep in mind. And because the slowdown that we are talking about is something which is not because of the pandemic, it is something which predates it. And, at least by two years before the pandemic, we are having this kind of a slowdown. So I think uh, the long-term issues are obviously uh, more important. And if you go by the economic survey, what really did disappoint me a little bit was this whole argument that inequality is something which is not so important uh, for growth. Uh, and I think somewhere that's kind of a message I was getting. But I would like to remind again that uh, a large part of the slowdown came from rural areas, and particularly the the slowdown, consumption slowdown came from the rural areas and the rural demand basically collapsing. And even in the numbers after the pandemic, whatever you call about wage-shaped recovery or case-shaped recovery, I mean, the last number that we have on the rural wages is up uh, to October. And if you go by the numbers on rural wages up to October, I mean, they are uh, declining. I mean, that's something even in nominal terms which have never, we have never seen earlier. So I think the challenges are huge. And I think uh, I will not go by these uh, optimist number, 
optimism as far as numbers which are given in the economic survey. I mean, they are not taking into account the informal sector. They are not taking into account the unorganized sector. And that's entirely based on the organized sector, corporate sector data. So a lot of the stress that we're seeing in the economy is not really being accounted for. I mean, nobody is even talking about that stress. And I think if you don't talk about that stress, if you don't talk about uh, address those issues, then I don't think any kind of a recovery is possible, or at least even if it is a possible, it is going to take a long term. And it is not certainly it's not sustainable. But what I need at this point of time is to have a recovery, which is not just a recovery from the pandemic and a, a temporary recovery, but a recovery which is sustainable. Sustainable. Remember, we are talking about a potential growth rate now of six and a half percent to seven percent. It used to be around seven and a half percent to eight percent. We were talking about that. Now it is already back down to that. And even if you go by that, our oh, we will be losing something like ten percent of the GDP by even in the next three to four years. So I think we need to think in the long term. And this budget should not be seen only as some kind of a, I mean, some patches here, some patches here, there, and some trying to project some kind of a numbers. And I must, uh, I mean, agree with the earlier commentator that the numbers need to be transparent as far as growth is concerned, as far as the budget is concerned, and both numbers. I mean, recently we had the revision in the GDP numbers for last year from 4.2% to 4%. I mean, what kind of numbers? I mean, if we can't do have these numbers, then any projections are meaningless. I would say that the real long-term issues need to be tackled, and this is the best time to tackle these uh, structural issues that have been hampering the economy. The economy is struggling, and I think if there is a boldness that is required, that boldness has to be on these fronts. I haven't seen that coming out at this point of time. Professor Reddy, uh, all eyes will be on health, but but there seems to be two points of view on how the finance minister should go about it. I mean, a vaccine rollout is underway. Should she go ahead and boost her spend for health infrastructure, something that has been extremely low even compared to our neighbours, or should she put out more specific details in terms of which vertical she wants to spend more on and what kind of money is to be allocated, especially to something like the vaccine drive? How will states be helped in that in that uh, campaign as well? Well, she has to balance and then mix priorities. Obviously, we do need to continue our response to the pandemic in a very energetic manner, partly because we have managed to get it under control, but we continue to need uh, vigilance so that the mutants that are already there entering the country and uh, they may actually flare up and we don't want the numbers to go up. We don't want the success that we have already achieved. Uh, to be compromised because of laxity and slip-ups. So continued efforts for surveillance and for promoting COVID-appropriate behavior is critical, even alongside the vaccine rollout, which is going to be absolutely important. At the same time, we must continue to invest in health because we do have, even in the post-pandemic state, a lot to build upon in terms of our health infrastructure, workforce, in order to ensure that we are meeting our health goals, whether it is the goals of the national health policy or of the sustainable development goals, our health system needs far greater strengthening. But even in terms of the economy, and I'm not an economist, I confess to that, obviously, given the state of the global economy, I don't think we can depend purely on an export-oriented growth, where other than vaccines, we don't have too much else to expect that the world is going to be immediately asking from us. So we do need to increase domestic employment and domestic consumption. And for that, there is nothing better than primary health care, which has been long neglected. 
urban primary health care has really not taken off the blocks. So if we actually strengthen urban and primary health care and double the number of our auxiliary nurse midwives where the training time is not too long, we create employment, we strengthen the health sector, and we potentially give a boost to the economy through greater spending of the more, uh, I mean, the people who are entering the job market. But the critical element is if you continue to neglect health and deal with it only as an emergency response, then we will, uh, the economy will continue to slip on the banana peels of new public health emergencies. You need a strong and robust health system and you continue to need to invest in that even during this period and post the pandemic period as well. Yes, fair point, sir. And you are well entitled to make a point about the economy and the health. Last year, all of us turned into epidemiologists overnight. So you are certainly entitled to speak about the economy. Vivek, hi, good morning. Hi, hi. Uh, I've kind of saved the best for the last Vivek. Uh, you know, we always go into the budget saying, look, do no harm. But this year, we're all actively saying, please do a lot of good. How much good are you expecting? Ah, okay, you know, going by past experience uh, of this government, uh, I mean, honestly, my expectations are not much. Uh, so, uh, so I'm in a position where I'm likely to be surprised. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I, I just like to sort of take a few points that all the panelists made and, uh, you know, take, take the discussion a little forward. Uh, so, Mr. Eddie, you know, uh, one point I wanted to make is that uh, during the course of this week, uh, all of us uh, will turn into economists. So, I mean, you know, you, you can also be one. There's no harm there. Uh, and, you know, I'll also like to take uh, points made by uh, Professor Himanshu and Dr. Narayan, uh, Mr. Narayan both uh, forward. Uh, it, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, most uh, budgets over the last uh, decade, decade and a half uh, have... Uh, you know, uh, they have sort of uh, lost a lot of transparency and we need that transparency to gradually come back. Now, I'll, I'll make two po quick points here. Uh, first point is if you, if you look at the gross tax revenues and the way they have been projected in the last two years, they have been way off the mark. You know, last year they were off the mark by around 12%, the year before last, uh, by last uh, last year and, and the year before last they were off by almost around 8, 8.5%. 8 so this year, I think, given the fact that, um, you know, uh, things have to improve on the expenditure side the government needs to be uh, needs to really get its act right when it comes to projecting the gross tax revenues also if you look at the disinvestment receipts i mean uh, they projected 2.1 lakh crore they have earned around 15000 crore i mean you know, this is like uh, not even a small miss this is a, this is a huge huge miss uh, the third point I wanted to make here uh, here is 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 with regards to uh, food corporation of India, and, and I keep making this point over and over again, on why the fiscal deficit number, I mean whatever it might be, is not credible at all because we do not include a lot of money that uh, food corporation of India needs to be paid uh, into the uh, into the calculation. So last year the food corporation of India had put the total uh, subsidy bill to around 3.18 lakh crore. And uh, what the government paid them was around close to a, you know, a little over a lakh, one lakh crore. So there is a gap of just two lakh crore with what is owed to the Food Corporation of India. 
so i think this is a good year to sort of uh, start recognizing this amount i mean i can understand that you cannot recognize all of 2 lakh crore in one year but you know even if they spread it around over the next 4 to 5 years we will end up with a more uh, credible uh, budget because you know ultimately at the sound of sounding very very cliche uh, the true aim of the budget is to present uh, the government accounts in the most correct way as as possible and that has uh, been missed out on uh, in in the last few years also one last point and i'd like to take uh, mr reddy's point forward you know uh, research from world over has shown that when you build primary health uh, centers uh, the health of the overall population tends to improve uh, but the problem is that politicians enjoy inaugurating hospitals i mean no politician enjoys inaugurating a primary health center because it just doesn't add uh, to his credibility his or her credibility fair point vivek in fact we've got some uh, you know basic graphics just to explain this to you in terms of what's happened with the revenue receipts we'll try and pull them up as we are speaking both in terms of what the deficit is what the gap is right now for the finance minister in terms of the revenues that she estimated versus what she's got these are figures till december anant uh, you know was alluding to the gst collections for january which certainly look quite smart at 1.2 lakh crores i believe nena is uh, back with us nena apologies we keep getting cut short on our conversation but you were telling me about what you are expecting to see from the budget this time round uh so daddy i think a lot of ground has been covered uh in terms of uh, our wish that we can see more spending to make sure that the kick starting of the economy that started continues and also to encourage investment i want to touch on a very critical area which i'm hoping we will see some of the announcements through the budget and that is to do with the banking sector uh we've seen the rbi report where growth uh, npas are expected at 13 and a half percent and could even worsen to 14.8% uh, as per that report and indeed the public sector banks uh, the estimated at 16.2% we have a kv kamath committee which tells us that corporate debt under stress was at 15.52 lakh crores after covid and there was already 22.2 lakh crores under stress before covid hit us so 72% of debt to industry is under stress and that is 37% of non food credit now these statistics tell me that the issues that are here facing us in terms of the financial sector are absolutely having to be resolved and i think the ways that this will have to be done is the capitalization of the public sector banks uh, is an issue it, it will draw money taxpayer money into those banks unless we do something about it which clearly has to be about infusion of capital from public markets enabling for them to dilute uh, a second area which would require focus is the sorting out of the stress and uh, the debt in the system particularly as the moratoriums begin to move and in order to do that uh, we need to see very clear enunciation of how the ibc and the nclt processes which are all directionally right but the speed of settlement is just uh, very very slow uh, a study that i have seen says that time bound resolution is required because we are averaging 440 days for resolving the 277 cases approved thus far that is not a good average so we need both the settlement process you know and the funding going in that will enable the credit to gdp ratios in our country to rise they are at about 50% uh, 
Uh, most developed nations are at a 100% credit to GDP ratio. So let's focus on getting our banking sector also pumping money into the system, even while government does the need in terms of ensuring spending and investment. Mm. Anand, come in on that. I mean, even if we're talking about nominal GDP at 12%, we need to have growth in formal credit at somewhere between 14 to 15%. It looks like a DFI is coming for the infrastructure side. That bill will be tabled. But what about the banks? Uh, what do you think the finance minister will do this time round to address that potential pain that's possibly coming in a hard way post-March? Well, I think um, Nana put out the prescription very well and he put it in terms of the four R's which uh, Dr. Arvind Subramaniam kind of laid out uh, in 2016, which is recognition, resolution, recapitalization, followed by, of course, reform. Um, look, I don't know what the finance minister will do. Uh, she's got a huge wish list, she's got more how many items. But um, if if I was to advise her, and, and thankfully she doesn't listen to me, I would say exactly to go through the four R's, right? Um, you know, the economic survey talks about doing a fresh asset quality review. Now, I'm sure a lot of bankers and people in NBFCs are upset with that. But I do think at some stage we need to confront the truth. Because unless we confront the truth, we will not go with the, with the you know, with the urgency required around resolutions, etc. The second part is resolutions. Look, um, IBC is good. I'm hoping, first of all, that IBC is restarted. This Come back, yeah. It comes back from April. But beyond IBC, Mithali, uh, uh, what Nana mentioned is absolutely right. Look, the size of the outstanding or non-performing asset, including those written off 100%, is just enormous. It's more than 20% of your of your outstanding loan. And no bankruptcy system in the world is geared towards that. Now, there are no nice solutions around this. Whatever you come out with, there'll be 30 people who will come and criticize it, whether it's a bad bank, whether it's uh, AIFs being allowed to you know uh, do the resolutions. But take a call. I personally like a bad bank, which if it is structured well along the lines that Malaysia did in, after the crisis, I think it can work. But do whatever is required to try and resolve those issues and get back capacity onto the system, right? The third part is recapitalization. Nana spoke about it. I won't go through that. But I do think, yes, absolutely, it's required. And the last part, look, 60% of our banking, Mithali, is public sector banking. Now, yep. public sector banks are good, but they are beset with, with NPAs. We've had you know telephone banking earlier. We have Mudra banking now. We have Shamiana banking now. Essentially, we need Delhi getting out of banking, right? And that economy, whether it is getting a BIC to own the shares of, of, the, of the government, and, and whether it is getting the nationalized banks out of the Nationalized Bank Act, into the Companies Act, giving them a level playing field along with other private sector bankers, uh, I think that's an ex extremely critical part, and that doesn't cost money. You know, that would be a call which the central government can take without necessarily involving other stakeholders. And I'm hoping that progress is made on that particular front. There is other work required around governance because governance is ownership neutral. You have frauds everywhere, private sector, public sector, everywhere. There, there is work happening around auditors, boards, RBI, uh, you know, uh, surveillance, etc. But if there was one thing I would look for on banking from the finance minister, it is to, to unlock the potential of, of the public sector banking by giving them autonomy, not necessarily privatization, but at least embark on autonomy, along with the other four uh, other four hours that we talked about with Ali. Yeah. Radhika, I want to pick up on a point that Vivek raised, which was the rather disappointing run in terms of disinvestment from the government's point of view. I mean, otherwise it's been, you know, a banging year in 2020 for IPO proceeds. But, uh, you know, what kind of figure do you think would look realistic and what methods do you think the government should use at this point? We've got things like Air India, etc. in the pipeline, but that is evidently not moving with the speed and alacrity that it should. 
So I agree, and I think you know, in the past, uh, the disinvestment department has done a reasonably decent job of making disinvestment targets. Obviously, some of the conventional mechanisms like ETFs, etc., have been kind of thrown out of the window, good or bad. Uh, I think this year was held up because of COVID. But I think with equity markets at a high, I think you have to stop looking at trickier issues like Air India. Uh, and some of the easier assets to monetize. Air India is a process that is going to take a very, very long time. I think beyond those companies, you also have to look at a lot of physical assets. I think someone mentioned this uh, uh, in the conversation, but real estate assets, any land monetization, that is a much easier thing to do. Uh, so that is what one would be looking forward to. I mean, if anything has to be done on fiscal, it will come from the uh, asset monetization program. Nena, speaking of the fiscal, you know, I, I don't know if you caught that part of the conversation where the stress amongst economy watchers seems to be, let's be transparent about it. Uh, at this point where we stand, there is quite a wide discrepancy in terms of what the fiscal deficit might end up as, equally what it might point to for the coming year. What do you think the finance minister should do? Should she shift to setting out a range instead of putting out a figure which is then, you know, which is then a big miss? Or do you think she should abandon the FRBM Act and say, look, Here's a pandemic year. We're going to start a fresh clean slate. This is how bad it is. And we're going to set out a new glide path for ourselves. You know, I would favor a clean slate simply because uh, we have the opportunity to do it uh, across the world. And indeed, uh, our own FISC is way, way over the 3.5% committed, uh, you know, looking more like the 7% as it is now. I think we get the reprieve because the whole world is really in a mess. Uh, but we only get it for a short term. So the ability to be convincing and demonstrate a commitment to this new FRBM, which in the medium term brings us back to a much lower fixed, is what is going to be critical to ensure that our ratings don't suffer and that there is credibility in what is set out. And that credibility has to be around different parts of where that funding is to come from. I think there is a belief that as uh, we are seeing the tax collections go up, I'm seeing estimates which are suggesting that we may well see uh, at, by the end of the year a FISC that is down to the sort of 5.5% level. Uh, and this is projection by economists, not by the government. So we have that wind behind the sails. We have to just make sure that the macros look good and help us achieve that. So that we shouldn't be tweaking the budget and upsetting what is right now uh, a pretty good uh, sort of wind behind us that is setting us uh, forth into this year. I think the second is on disinvestment. I totally agree with the comments made by other panelists that setting our heart and numbers on the tough disinvestments, you know, Ever since I can remember my investment banking career, we've been trying to uh, find a partner or disinvest Air India. I remember uh, trying to do this myself about 20 years ago. This is a really sticky asset and I'm delighted the government is taking this forward. But that's not a number uh, that we can really hang our hopes on. And even BPCL, which looked like a jewel, is not looking easy. So it will have to be small uh, disinvestments through capital markets which uh, could be through i you know the sort of uh, ipo disinvestment models uh, definitely the real estate model that uh, radhika uh, said because the government is holding a lot of assets which can easily be uh, and this is the time to actually monetize these uh, so look at 
And the government set out this very clear program, therefore, on you know the bits that will make up the puzzle, which will complete uh, the fundraising in a direction which gives us uh, fiscal responsibility, but in the medium term. Uh, as for now, we must absolutely ensure that we keep from planning the economy. We are no, we are just not over the hump right now, and uh, it would be the wrong time to begin to pull back. Absolutely. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.